absolute joy and delight to be with all of you, dear friends, this Sunday evening. Thank you so much for the warm welcome and a joy to look down to see so many well-kent faces. Some of you have expanded a little since I was last here. I have to say, not that I'm looking at anyone in particular, and also good to see so many new faces as well. So welcome to me and welcome to all of you. I could have sat there for another wee while longer and listened to our brother Sean, but alas, the poor fellow has to listen to me. I remember fondly my first few times in Albania. It was with Colin Stephen, way up north in Skoda. We traveled quite extensively. And I remember vividly my first ever time there, apart from the roads being crazy 20-something years ago and, and the toxic fumes around the capital of Tirana. Things have changed, I realize. The old, old airport, which was massively dilapidated back then. That's a brand spanking new one. But I remember coming back from my very first ever visit and just reflecting on it and just thinking to myself, hey, that's what it must have been like back in the early days of the early church. It was Acts chapter 2, just what you've said, coming alive before our very eyes. So thank you for that, Sean, and thank you to every one of you for your faithfulness in supporting us prayerfully, financially, week after week, month after month, for many, many long years. I would not be here this evening if it were not for the unfailing goodness of our faithful God and for the assurance that all of you have been faithfully standing with us in prayer. If you want an update on my dear wife, not saying anything in public because it's going out live stream or YouTube, whatever it is, but uh, see me afterwards or see Ben and Liz afterwards. They've got the very latest information and I would simply say keep on praying. Now, I can't remember the name of the guy who led us in there. Is your man? Huh? Josh, that's right. How could I forget? Josh, ask me to pray also to give thanks for the offering. And so, Father, we are so glad to be here this evening. We thank you for everyone who's made a special effort to be here. It would have been so easy just to sit at home and put the feet up, perhaps even watch something online. But, Father, we're glad to be here. This is a day which the Lord has made. We were so glad when they said unto us, let us go into the house of the Lord. Thank you, Father, again that we've given our tithes and our offerings back to you. We pray that you will bless the monetary gifts that have been given. But, Father, grant that each of us individually may first of all have given ourselves unreservedly to you. And, Father, grant that what has been shared, we pray that as it is distributed for ministries dotted around the world, we pray that each might know the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Now, brothers and Jonathan said to me when I come in this evening, are you bringing some copies of your new book with you? Well, here we are, my friend. They're out there on the table. My lockdown legacy, for want of a better word. Remember that? Lockdown legacy. We put together a little commentary here. Takes you right through the entire book of Daniel, pretty much paragraph by paragraph. And the hero in the book of Daniel isn't even Daniel. It is the great God of heaven. So I warmly commend it to you. It's only $9.99, but you've heard the same tale so often before. I don't have any pennies, but you get a signed copy for a tenor, and it would make a lovely Christmas gift. Go on in with it by the pastor, Bam one or Bam two, and he can read them in stereo. All right? So there you are, all available at the end of the meeting uh, this evening. 
Now, you friends have been doing a little series on Sunday evenings on the greatest sermon ever preached. It's uh, spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ. They're in the banks of the Sea of Galilee. And I'm simply slotting into that series this evening, looking at the section that is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer, but could be better called the Disciples' Prayer, or perhaps even the Model Prayer. You know, we all have our favorite hymns, don't we? One of mine is what I would call a real golden oldie. It goes back a long, long time. It was penned by a fellow called Joseph Scriven. He actually lies buried in the market town of Banbridge in County Down in the north of Ireland. He's the man who wrote these words, and Josh actually picked these for the final song at the end of the meeting this evening. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Those are wonderful words, aren't they? Do you know why? Because they tell every one of us this evening an awful lot about the Lord Jesus and about His unfailing love for you and for me, who are His blood-bought children. They have an awful lot to say about His tender ministry on our behalf. Remember, dear friends, two millennia back, He's the one who went all the way to Calvary for you and for me. But what's He doing right now? Well, He is engaged in a round-the-clock ministry of intercession. He is there at the Father's right hand as our great high priest. And you know, folks, he's praying for you, and he's praying for me by name. So when I read these words of that lovely old hymn, they also tell me something of the awesome privilege that is yours and mine of just engaging our hearts in, in conversation with the one who is a sovereign Lord. But then you remember at the end of that first verse, they also warn us of missed blessings. Because yes, there are times in my life and probably in yours as well, when we want to do things our own way, and for whatever reason, we, we fail to bring God fully into the picture. And I think one of the lessons we learned from the hymn, but certainly from Matthew chapter 6, is that prayer makes a world of difference. At the very same time, prayer makes all the difference in the world. It was a missionary statesman, Oswald Chambers, who said on one occasion that prayer is the Christian's vital breath. And so prayer, at its very simplest, is basically you and I talking to Jesus. It's you and I talking with Jesus it's when you and I come to Him just the way that we are, we tell it like it is, and we pour out our hearts before Him. That's what prayer is for you and for me. Now, rather look at every single sentence in the prayer this evening, I want to give you kind of an overview. And then the first time, at 10 o'clock this evening, we want to zoom right in, as it were, on the first one or two lines in the prayer. So when we think about it this evening, let's remember this. These words in Matthew chapter 6, I just think they're a timely lesson 
for every one of us gathered here. Be way many years in the Christian pathway or having just started out following Jesus. These words, quite frankly, are priceless. You'll have covered this in the previous Sunday evening, I'm sure. Did you notice he tells us how not to do it? But then he doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell us how best for you and I to do it. So when it comes to praying, when it comes to interceding, there is a wrong way, but there's also a right way. And so he says down there in verse 5, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. These are the men and women who reckon God owes them a favor. These are the people who come to prayer, and they see themselves as the greatest thing since manna fell in the desert all those generations ago. These are the individuals who, when they enter into the presence of God, they kind of preen themselves, and they stick their noses up in the air. It's those who have the spirit of the Pharisees, men and women who sadly are overwhelmed with pride. So we're not meant to be like them. But then further down the page in verse 7, before getting into the heart of the prayer, he says, I don't want you to be like the heathen or the pagans. I mean, there's nothing ostentatious about these guys, is there? You know what their problem is? Their problem is one of vain repetition. I mean, when they pray, they're just like a babbling brook. It's muttering after muttering. It's words, words, and still more words. It's a bit like the needle getting stuck. They just gabble on to God. These are individuals who, when they pray, talk an awful lot in prayer. But if you were to pick it to pieces, they actually end up saying very, very little. And I'm sure we've all seen that, haven't we, with our own two eyes. If we haven't witnessed it personally, live, we will be conscious of what happens so often in religious gatherings in this city and elsewhere around the world. These are individuals who are praying to a different God. But my friend, when you take what you have right here in Matthew chapter 6, here is the bottom line when it comes to prayer. And it's one that you know so well. You often hear it said, the Lord answers prayer, exclamation mark. In fact, you can weave your way through the pages of God's Word, and you will discover this, that when God's people pray, God not only answers prayer, but He does some of the most amazing things in response to people's praying. Things actually happen when boringly ordinary people pour out their hearts before God. It was prayer that opened the Red Sea. It was prayer that brought water from the rock and even bread down from heaven. It was prayer that made the sun stand still. It was prayer that brought fire from the sky on Elijah's sacrifice. It was prayer that overthrew armies and even healed the sick. And back in the days of the Lord Jesus, it even raised the dead. And in your lifetime and in mine, it is prayer that has paved the way for the salvation of tens of millions of people dotted all around the world. And our brother Sean has alluded to that earlier this evening. You see what I mean, dear friends? God 
answers prayer. In fact, I would go as far as to say that probably most, if not all of us, are here this evening because someone prayed for us and because God answered their prayer on our behalf. Now, did you notice when Josh was reading the prayer a few minutes ago? It's not that long. I mean, so far as I can see, there, there are less than 70 words in the prayer. So it's not a long prayer by, by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, probably my sense of humor, but when I listen to some dear people praying, this one actually in Matthew 6 is incredibly short. This old preacher, Mr. Spurgeon, who said on one occasion, it is strength, not length, that really counts when it comes to praying. Be whet your appetite. Did you notice the emphasis in God in the first three petitions in the prayer? Your name, your kingdom, your will. And then, did you notice this second part of the prayer where it zooms right in on the poverty and the helplessness of man? Where we pray, give us, forgive us, deliver us. But then did you notice how the prayer comes full circle by ending with a spotlight shining back on God one more time? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. You see, dear friends, God is all the glory. Yep. God is all the power, no doubts there. And God is all the majesty. Think about it like this. You and I, even as we gather here this evening, we have all the needs. We have all the wants. We have all the poverty. But when we lift our eyes to the one who is seated on that higher throne, he's got everything and still some. And we have nothing. And so it's no wonderful for you and I to come with him, before him, with empty hands, to one who is able to give us everything that we need. And you know, dear friends, in light of Matthew 6, isn't that what prayer is really all about? You see what it's doing? It shines the main beam on the amazing ability of an awesome God. And I think when you come to this particular prayer, we need to be thinking big thoughts. Big thoughts about God. You see, Here's a God who is bigger than all our problems. When you think of your problems, the issues that you're dealing with, and me as well, they are like grasshoppers. But He is God. In fact, someone has rightly said that God's answers are wiser than our prayers. Now, it's also true to say this evening that this prayer is a bit like a roadmap. For you and I, as we seek God's face, it's a bit like driving down a major motorway and dotted to one side with many, many blue signs. You'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. And so as we pass that first intersection, we're reminded that we need to acknowledge and give praise to God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Fine. We keep on driving a wee while further. We come to another turn-off. And we see another sign that says we are to pray over our priorities. And we are to bring them into line with the purpose of God. 
your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We drive on a wee bit further. Another sign reminds us that uh, the God we have worshipped, the God who is in full control of your life and mine, is the very same God who wants to provide for all our daily needs. So we pray, familiar words, give us today our daily bread. We jump back in the car and we drive another mile or two. Another big sign that says personal relationships. And there we read, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And as we're confronted with that particular sign, maybe people come flooding into our mind. Maybe some things that I need or that we need to sort out and, and put right. And that's a reminder, dear friends, is it not that you're God and mine. It, it, he's a people person. He's into relationships big time. He's a God who pardons. And I think a classic illustration of that story is found in the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Another major turnoff, yet another signpost. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you know what that tells me this evening? We are reminded so powerfully that the God who provides for us and the God who pardons us is the very same God who protects us. And so when we think of those words, facing the challenges from the enemy and from temptation, we need to look to the Lord for His protection and for His deliverance. The old hymn writer says, He is our shelter in the time of storm. He's the one who lifts us up with strong arms in our days of trouble and who carries us from where we are into a safe place. Back in the car, another few miles, yet another sign. It's the last one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I tell you, my friends, what an amazing promise that certainly is. Wouldn't you agree? To know that the God to whom we pray is an everlasting king. Here is the one who has the power to do whatever pleases him. His is a glory that, that outshines even a million suns. We reflect on that, and it takes our breath away. Why? Because he's the very same God who in the person of his beloved son invites people like you and like me, very ordinary run-of-the-mill people, to do what? To come to Him and to bring our worship and requests to Him. And that's exactly what you have right there in Matthew chapter 6. I don't know about you, dear friends, but for me, the two hardest parts of praying are simply these. Number one, how do we get into it? Okay? And number two, how do we get out of it? In other words, how do we do both in such a way that you know with confidence in your heart that going in, that God will hear you? And having spent some time in the presence of the Master, you know when it's time to leave the closet and go out into the real world, the big world out there, you know in your heart that God did hear you. 
And that's exactly where this prayer excels. And so it is what I said a minute ago. It's a kind of a framework for you and I to build our prayers around. It's a model prayer. This is the Lord Jesus Christ showing you and I how best to do it. I read fairly recently when Jack Nicholas was in his heyday, he would go to his coach every year at the beginning of a year with exactly the same message. This was Jack Nicholas saying this, teach me how to play golf. I mean, he was a maestro. Why did he do that? Because it's going back to basics. That's what Jesus is doing right here. He's taking us back to basics. Did you notice that first part of the prayer in verse 9? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, dear friends, here is a God who can be trusted. Here is a God who can be relied upon. Here is a God on whom we can depend. Here is a God whose word is his bond. And you know, even in our money moments of doubt and, and fear and even uncertainty, even at times when you and I feel as if we're blown at big time and really mess things up, you know what? We can still come close to him. We can still engage our hearts in adoring worship and in fulsome praise because we're coming to him as children who are trusting him. And that's where the focus ought to be in your prayer life and in mine, right from the very beginning of us getting down on our knees, as it were. We ought to be thinking not about me, but rather thinking all about him. You know, most of the time that I start when I pray, it's pretty much in what the English teachers would tell you, it's the first person pronoun. Not true? I mean, we just launch out into what we want God to do. Lord, I want you to give this. I want you to bless me. Lord, I need you to do this for me. Dot, 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 and still some. But you see the first thing that Jesus does right here? Did you notice it? The first thing that Jesus does right here is give to you and me in common to this evening a good old-fashioned grammar lesson. That's what he does. Now, that's not how we begin. But remember this. Prayer is not about me. It's not about you. Prayer, first and foremost, is all about him. It's all about him. Our Father. Our Father. You know those two words? They send a shiver down the spine, don't they? Here is the God who brought something out of nothing on the morning of creation. Here is the one who runs the entire show from beginning to end. Here is the God whose finger is always on the button. Here is the God who misses absolutely nothing. As the wee chorus sometimes says, so big, so high, so mighty. And yet because of Calvary and an empty tomb, so approachable. So that you and I, through the eye of simple faith, we can say from the bottom of our hearts, our Father, our Father. You know, that wasn't always the case in your life and certainly in mine. There was many a long year in each of our lives when we were estranged from God. But the turning point came, didn't it? 
when he drew us savingly to himself, when we knelt at the foot of the cross, and we gave our lives over to him, when we were born again in a moment of time. Sister writer, many a year we were afar off, but he brought us near. We were on the outside, but he took us in. Do you know what that is? That's matchless grace. And my friend, as a consequence of all that has happened in your life and mine, today, we enjoy that wonderful sense of intimacy with the Almighty God. We come before Him, and we don't see Him as one who is remote and distant and way out there. No, no. He's up close. He's near. There's an intimacy to that relationship. He is relational. He's a God who specializes in, in that personal touch. And you and I come before him day after day and simply say, Father, Father. Yeah, he's mine. And he's yours. We cry unto him, Abba, which simply means Papa. It just means daddy. It means father. And you know what struck me about that little word, Abba, when we take it in English? I mean, you can't misspell it, can you? It's A-B-B-A. So whatever comes into your life from that direction, A-B-B-A, yeah. Whatever comes into your life from that direction, A-B-B-A, come what may, my friends, he is our loving heavenly father. Did you notice the word father occurs? at least 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount alone. In fact, if you take the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus refers to God as Father over 70 times. See, the mega question is this. What made the difference between what happened under the old economy, under the law, and what happens in your life and mine presently? Jesus made the difference. The veil was rent in two. A new way was, was opened up. And so you and I, as the redeemed people of God, we can now call God, the great God of heaven, we can now call him our Father. Our Father. Papa. You know, for you and I to call him Father or Daddy, that's a term of rich endearment, isn't it? It's a term of loving trust. Do you know what it does? It actually shows our total dependence upon him. I mean, it's what a little child would do, running into the room, and the daddy is sitting there, jump up on his knees. Daddy, Papa. That's a thought you have right there, folks. In fact, it's what Jesus would have called Joseph back in the carpenter shop in the town of Nazareth. Don't you just love that? Papa, Daddy, Father. You know, it shows that our bonding with our Father is real. You click it, there's a genuine ring of reality to it. Father God. There's nothing presumptuous about it. No, no. There's not even a hint of arrogance associated with it either. It is warmth. It resonates. It's the real McCoy. And my friend, based on what you have in the middle of the prayer, what are fathers for? Well, fathers are there to provide for us and to pardon us and to even protect us. 
It was said in the evening before Thomas Chalmers, a great evangelical minister in Scotland, 19th century Scotland. He was out for a walk in the garden, and he was heard saying repeatedly, O Father, my heavenly Father, knowing what awaited him on the morrow, O Father, my heavenly Father. Oh, my dear friends, it doesn't really matter what our past was like. It doesn't even matter what's going on in your life or mine right now. Because when we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the unchanging truth is this. God is our Father. And we love Him. And He certainly loves us. Don't you love the way Charles Wesley expressed it? He put it like this. My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence, I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba Father, cry. Our Father. That tells me who he is. Our Father in heaven. Well, that tells me where he is. He's out of this world. You see, when the Lord Jesus mentions that place where God resides, doesn't that put a different spin on it for you and for me? Our Father, He's in heaven. He's the God of infinity. The earth, said the psalmist, is His footstool. And this God, who is our Father, is a God of majesty and might, one who is worthy of our heartfelt worship. He's the exalted God of glory. He's the one who is surrounded by that angelic host. The one who is seated on that higher throne. And at his right hand shines his lovely son. The altogether lovely one. The Lord Jesus Christ. Here is a father with a big heart. An expansive heart. A generous heart. Here is a father with a heart of unconditional love. And my dear friends, this father, this same God, is the one who, who longingly craves. He yearns for your fellowship and mine. He delights your company and mine as well. Humbling, isn't it? And so when we wonder, perhaps sometimes... Where is God when bad things happen to God's good people? I think we can answer that niggling question, that nagging question from the vantage point of the throne of God. Where is God when you watch the waves of injustice roll over the shores in our courtrooms? Where is God when you hear the winds of terrorism blowing through the walls of freedom? Where is God when innocent babies die and guilty criminals go free, where is God? My dear friends, the answer is right here. He is where he always has been. He's in heaven. He hasn't moved. And nothing escapes his notice. Beloved, there is not a question he cannot answer. There is not a prayer that he does not hear. There is not a problem he cannot solve. And there is not a wrong that will not be made right. And that's what we mean when we come before him. As trusting children. Our Father in heaven. 
our Father in heaven. Can I take five minutes? The heads are nodding approvingly or else sleepingly. I'm not quite sure which. But let's just do it just next to two or three minutes, okay? It's the very next phrase that we have down there. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Do you know what that would suggest, dear friends? As you and I enter into the near presence of the Lord, and by faith as we, as we reach out and as we touch the throne of grace, we're coming before him, the children who were trusting him, but we're also coming before him as those who just long to worship him. He's our, our father. He's our heavenly father. But you see what he is right here at the end of verse 9? He is our holy father. And to him alone ought to be given that particular title. Hallowed, holy. You know, we got that lovely invitation in Psalm 96, don't we? Worship the Lord in the splendor, in the beauty of his holiness. You know, we think about God's holiness. There's nothing cold or rigid or austere about it. No, no. It's actually something quite lovely and, and quite beautiful and, and quite attractive. And so right at the outset of this epic prayer, you and I are compelled on bended knee and bended heart to acknowledge God's bright and burning holiness. Here is a God renowned for his perfections. But you know, as we do draw near to him, I don't come in my terms. We've got to come God's way and in God's terms. Let me just give you one or two speedy illustrations. Have you ever seen anyone struck dead during a worship service? Hmm? I haven't, but it has happened. You recall the two sons of Aaron in Leviticus 10, two guys who were priests in the tabernacle, Nadab and Abihu. Remember the story? The people were having a whale of a time. It was a marvelous time of worship. It was a right good praise party, a kind of a celebration. But that very same day, these two guys, they get too big for their boots. And they tried to offer to the Lord something that was unacceptable. The outcome, swift, zap, two dead men on the desert sand. Much the same happened to Uzzah. Remember him in 1 Chronicles 13? You remember the story? God's people were moving the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God's presence, to Jerusalem on a wee ox cart. And you remember the oxen stumbled. And Uzzah thought that God needed his help. So what did he do? Instinctively, he reached out his hand to, to steady the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says that God was incensed to such a degree that Uzzah perished. You know, my friends, the abiding lesson we learn from these two stories is that, yes, we can approach God, and we're grateful for that. But as we draw near to Him and come close to Him, it's got to be with an awareness of who God really is. He is holy. He is holy. But not only is he holy, everything that there is about him is holy. His law is holy. So too, 
is the promise. His ways, his words, his works, his wrath are holy. His priests are holy. His day is holy. Even his people are holy in the sense that we are set apart by him and for him. You see, it all makes sense, doesn't it? When you and I begin to realize that God does what he does because God is who he is. We take a look at him this evening and we realize there is nothing about God that is not holy. And that ties in with Psalm 103, doesn't it? Where you and I are encouraged to do what? To praise. We sang about it. To praise his holy name. We just say this in closing. When you and I pray these words, hallowed be your name, what does it mean for you and for me for God's name to be hallowed? Well, it doesn't mean that we can become any more holy than God is. No, no. God is already 100% holy. So when we ask God to hallow his name, we're actually asking God to do something. What do we want him to do? We want him to glorify himself. And so God is hallowed whenever he shows that he is the Holy One. So when we pray these words, we're asking God to reveal that he is exactly who he says he is. We're simply saying, Lord, you're holy. Live up to your name. Magnify yourself in all the earth. And God does that in your life and mine, when he will use us to grow his church and extend his kingdom of light. That's when God will do it. When you and I tell others about him, when we declare something of his greatness, when you and I have the privilege of leading someone to faith in Jesus, when we are the real McCoy, when there's a buzz in a relationship with the living God, then his name is lifted high and he is exalted. Because God knows in the grand scheme of things, every bit of the glory, it bounces back to him. And that's when his name is hallowed. Finally, if you and I are going to impact our world and influence today's generation for Jesus Christ, we need to ask God, who is holy, to make us holy. Holy in our actions in our words, in our thoughts, in our emotions, in our worship, in everything. So that when people out there take a look at your life and take a wee look at mine, they will see a genuine replica of a God of whom it was said, holy, holy, holy. Oh, my friends, it seems to me that one reason God leaves us here after we are saved, is so that we can hallow his name before a lost and a dying world. It was the old Puritan Thomas Watson who said on one occasion, when our lives shine, his name shines in us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May God grant it. Amen. Now, we sing that final song this evening that Joss chose, but so appropriate. 
What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Let's stand as we sing it together, shall we? And thank God as we sing it that we do have a friend in the Lord Jesus Christ. well. We thank you again for the friend that we have in Jesus, one who loves at all times, one who sticks even closer to us than any earthly brother. That's amazing in itself. We give you our heartfelt praise. Thank you, Father, again for the prayer that we've been thinking about this evening. I pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts afresh, that we might discover more and more of what each of those sentences really do mean. And Father, at the beginning of our prayer and at the end of our prayer, may we joyfully ascribe all the praise, the honor, and the glory unto him and to he alone. Father, for those who were with us this evening, those who are watching at home, we commend each one to you and pray that we might know the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Bless your servants, our fathers, they travel back to 
the land of their adoption on the morrow. Grant them safety, and grant that as they return to their own dear people, may it be with a sense of increased joy and thrill in their hearts, knowing that people here are with them each step along the way. And we pray, Father, that today and in all their tomorrows, may they discover, like many of us have found, that our God delights to answer the fervent prayers of his people. My Father, we pray that you will part us with your blessing. Be with us as we travel wherever. And grant until we do meet again, may the name of the Lord be magnified. For yours is the kingdom and yours is the power. May yours be all the glory. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.